What's up, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com here with another episode of the RMR Podcast. I'm shooting three episodes today. I'm three-peating like the Lakers in the early 2000s, man. I got a special guest from halfway across the map. I got Randall Buckman of Pleasant Trees in Michigan. How you doing today, Randall? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you hopping on here. I, I've barely started to dip my feet into Michigan. I always tell people I think I maybe had a layover in Detroit one time, but that's about my only experience touching soil out there. Um, but your guys' industry has been been blowing up over these last few years, so I'm super excited to have you on here. It's a good description. And there's plenty of cities I've done the same thing to. In and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe sat in your airport for a couple hours, you know, grab some food or something, and 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 chilled. But uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out there. I've been talking to some of your team. I, I want to come tour some of your guys' facilities and and see the see the fire you guys are putting out. Open door anytime. Awesome. So, man, yeah, obviously you guys are, you know, state to state. There's different regulations, different license types that breed different uh, business types. You guys are obviously vertically integrated and doing it at a, at a pretty impressive scale for how long you guys have been around. When, when, or actually before I even get to that, I I forgot my, my golden rule. Every guest I have on here, I always start their origin story around cannabis. Oh, so whether Maybe we go personal, back, huh? Yeah, whether it's personal, professional, whatever you feel comfortable comfortable being vulnerable about. But I'm curious, kind of your origin story with the plant. It really started in 2009. It was I uh, graduated college 08. Uh, laws passed in Michigan for the caregiver that we could get our cards and grow for ourselves and or uh, five or six. There was five patients plus yourself, so we got 72 plants. Um, I hadn't grown a single house plant in my life and or didn't really know much about it. My grandparents, you know, gardened. My parents, not as much. Uh, more so busy, just trying to do soccer practice, whatnot. But um, started, you know, I maxed out my credit card out of college, buying some lights and a couple of, uh, you know, what I needed at the grocery store. Didn't know much about it. And my dad actually let me put some in the basement. They're like, built like a little room, like 12 plants and four lights and, uh, I don't know if any of them made it through the first, you know, the first run. Um, I was doing like bubble buckets at the time and figured it out, read all the forums at the time. Like there was a, the learning curve was much, much harder at that time. I don't think people understand it or appreciate in like 2008, 2009, 2010, there wasn't a lot of online open source uh, information. So, you had to learn the hard way and or get into like some of these forums and be careful on the forums because sometimes a lot of the you know a lot of the time people that have all day to be typing about you know how they're the best at growing and know everything aren't the people that actually know anything um the people that know what they're doing aren't on there just blasting it off because they're busy doing things right. um but being able to you know decipher what was actually good information and just again learning you know learning the hard way get it in the in the header in the pocket it's like don't do that again and built uh up to a couple of you know got up to say 72 lights and then i went into my first commercial facility in 2013 um in michigan and it was a 72 light 72 plant facility and uh built a couple more of those um, between 13 and 17 and in 2016 the laws changed in michigan where we could go to the medical licenses uh, 1500 plants per license we could stack them you had to have x amount of capitalization um i had money i you know had made some money and i you know had paid a 
tremendous amount of taxes on the money I had made, but I had a business and I was kind of, I was doing okay, but I did not have the capitalization to go as big as I wanted to go. So I just started raising capital. So I kind of really narrowed my focus on different municipalities that I had facilities in at that time that I thought were going to opt in, like the local city or local town had to opt in and allow for cannabis. So which ones were going to do that and, you know, in an unpredictable time, try to be right when you pick where you're going to put your real estate or try to grab real estate at. Got fortunate when I did that. I mean, called good guess or fucking, you know, doing homework, but did that well. We blocked all our buildings in Harrison Township, Michigan. We had a 50,000 square foot grow, another 20,000 square foot grow, 12,000 square foot process, uh, processing, packaging. So we have hydrocarbon extraction, solventless extraction there for rosin. We have a pretty substantial mar- uh, portion of the Michigan rosin market. And then we have five retail stores. Um, that was that's interesting. That's a new a new game to me playing retail. I didn't. I came from a cultivation background. Um, I'm an analytical person. I understand business. Um, retail. There, it's a different element. It's a little bit. There's I'm competing against people that have grown up in retail stores. They grew up there. Their dad had a retail store. They grew up there when they were six years old. They were stocking shelves. They understand that game, and they're they're much better at that game than I am. And it's it's hard to for you know for me to do what I'm doing that I do well, and you know beat them at a game that they like grew up playing. So that's a that's a new uh, element to me. I'm trying to you know take every advantage, every inch we can to to be competitive. First of all, just getting good retail locations. I mean, that's a huge, huge part of it, getting the right corner, winning that license, winning the application, being in the right spot, securing the right real estate, the negotiation, the deal structure. I mean, it's a major portion of what we do, but that's an advantage we do have. If I can't beat them with a, at operating the retail, but I can beat them at getting the retail, you know, that's my advantage. So we try to, you know, narrow it on getting the locations we do get. We want to make sure they're you know, very, you know, top tier, class a locations so. absolutely and then you know there's obviously that advantage of being vertically integrated where you can kind of control your margin at, at retail um have you found that as, as a big benefit or is that post challenges as well when you're also wholesaling to other stores it's it well it's been an extraordinary i mean i i, I have anybody know understands that 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 uh you know pickle um if what I found was when we when we came to market, we had a large grow early in Michigan. There wasn't a lot of weed. The prices were, you know, four thousand a pound as fast as I could grow it. I had a list of dispensaries I wanted weed. Um, people were sending me double what they owed me and just saying, "Oh, it's okay. Just send me more weed." And it's like, no, like you're back to the list. Like the guy behind you's been waiting just as long, and like I only have so much right now. The good times. Um, as so I had, I was, our, our output at the time was probably 1,500 pounds a month, you know, 1,200 pounds a month, somewhere in that range. And I had zero stores when I came to market. So we're all wholesale. We had a good brand. And I spent serious money on, you know, billboards and marketing, hired all the right, the right or wrong people, all the people that were, you know, had the right titles, whether they're right people or wrong people, they had the right titles and, you know, skill sets, allegedly. But either way, I do have a brand. We had a brand. So we gained good market share, good brand recognition early in the game. Um, and we hit that hard. But I opened my, that was in January of 2020 is when I turned my lights on. Uh, July of 2020 is when I opened my first store in East Lansing. It wasn't another six months almost 
four or five, six months before I opened my second store. And then it was a little bit of a break. And then in Q1 of this year, I opened three stores. So I went from zero stores, so all wholesale. And my wholesale prices are good. So I'm, I'm not competing with any of the any of the retailers with my own stores. One store in East Lansing up at Michigan State. I'm not a big competitor. Okay, it doesn't affect me. Second store was in Hamtramck, and it was kind of like a one of one or well, one of three stores. Not a big competitor with people. Then I opened up three stores right on top of each other. And what happens is if you're you have to your wholesale and your retail like price points are kind of like a, a function. So if I'm tr if I'm selling most of my product through my wholesale market or through my wholesale pipe, call it my revenue pipe. Um, I need to like keep that as high as possible. Well, my retail then is inflated because anybody that's buying my wholesale is not going to buy it at this price. If I'm selling it right here, they're gonna be like, well, I want to sell it here if you're going to charge me here. But if you're selling it here, I can't sell it here. So I'm over inflating my retail price to protect my wholesale price. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm inflating it up because more of my products going through my wholesale. And the, the difficulty is, is, is making that transition uh, to focus on my retail where, okay, am I getting, am I servicing my retail first? Do I have the cheapest, best prices at my retail and I'm selling X amount, you know, or whatever the excess is or buying the excess third party and, and, and raw, you know, biomass or whatever, and then packaging it and selling it to fill my revenue pipes. Am I doing, am I doing that and switching that you can't, it's not a slope. It's kind of like a fucking, poof, you know, because as soon as you drop your retail prices to increase your velocity, um, the wholesale, the, the retailers are buying my wholesale, right? My wholesale customers are screaming and they want discounts back or credits back. And your price, you know, gets really, it's, it's you really got to be, you know, really careful when you play with that game. And I just did that transition probably two months ago. So it's been interesting. Always that fine tangle. I like how you put that. Like, if you're thinking in, in best order of your retail, it's a little bit different than thinking in best uh, of yeah. the, whole, the brand side. Well, so it's got two different games. I mean, look at it. Look at it from the perspective of like, if I have say I have seventy, I have seventy thousand square foot of cultivation, and I want to like maybe I want to silo. Let's look at the, like my cultivation, my processing, packaging, distribution, and my retail is like three different silos. I want them all to be the maximum performers, right? In their in their sector. But if I'm saying that for my cultivation, what's the best thing for my cultivation? Monocropping. I should be monocropping fucking you know big rooms of the same thing and dialing the climate and crop steering the shit out of that room to be perfect for that fucking strain and maximize my batch sizes so all my cogs are spread across the maximum batches. That would be the smartest thing for my my cultivation. That's what I should be doing, right? but go through my processing and retail now retail needs variety and i can't just have well we got you know whatever monkey mints for you know that's what we got this week you know what i mean so i need variety there well it becomes a function of i can't if i can't model crop enough variety and enough consistency to take care of my stores well then i need to start buying product to have the variety from my store that's different than trying to feed my everything at my stores out of my grow, which then cuts the knees off of my grow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you want both to be successful, you have to do different approaches in silo. 
Yeah, that's that, that's a smart way to look at. It. I know a lot of people in, in vertically integrated areas have a have a it's a fine line that they gotta that they gotta tangle with. You know, on the on mm-hmm. the uh, topic of strains, I'm kind of curious. You know, regionally we see cultivars whether they've kind of been embedded in the legacy market of there or they're following the trends, which you know trends are now popping up everywhere. It used to be kind of California really pushed a lot of the trends and still does in a little bit of hype. But I know every market is a little bit different. The East Coast has been cultivating, Midwest has been cultivating, and with cultivators and breeders out there. What are some of the popular strains that you're seeing, whether it's through your cultivation or just in the Michigan market as a whole? I mean, I think in Michigan, it's, it's different than strains. It's more like brands or like cultivator of the strain. And what I'm seeing in Michigan as the market's compressed so much and, you know, it's been commoditized so much there's very few brands that have been able to maintain the, the consumer trust in a prepack. And I could think of four or five that have that consumer trust and they still have that price, but any brand that's, you know, really jeopardize that or your gambled or played with their, the, that trust of the consumer to their brand or their quality. Um, they're just, you know, another corn with the rest of the, uh, and, and listen, I'm not saying I'm immune to that either, but that's just like what I've seen as the market compresses people that there's very the, what people will buy just cheaper and cheaper and cheaper weed. So like to, to stick out as a, a premium brand is, is difficult. And that's the only people that do that are the ones that just consistently like always have the quality and they like demand that respect because they've never played with their quality. And like it's becoming more and more apparent now. Right. And that, that's an important thing for the customer. If you're going to pay top shelf, price you got to have a consistent top shelf product and you know a plant as finicky as cannabis is yeah. could be a challenge I'm not, listen i'm not saying we only grow top or premium product but i think we we have we have different levels and uh, brands that hit different levels or you know sectors of the market i think we're just, we're transparent about what that product is and what the value is to that to that shelf or to that you know sector um that i think that's the important part when you're trying to sell something for what it's not that's the problem that's when you break the trust of the consumer when you're transparent to the consumer and say this is what it is and this is what it costs um and that's why i think that's fine and i think they understand what they're getting but when you try to sell and tell them something is this and they pay for it it's not what they paid for well then you just broke that trust yeah yeah and i mean that was you know i, I remember out here on the west coast the legacy days when you call people what what what, what you got you know what you got in the stash and everybody says on the phone oh it's fire it's stupid as soon as you walk in the door about 90 percent of the people will be like well it's not this but it's a good price and it was you know back then we weren't really sending pictures and it's like man why did i get in the car and drive all the way over here for you to overhype it on the phone like you do that to me twice. I'm never and taking your call again. I'm never buying with you. Moving into this legal market of looking at things as a CPG, like you absolutely said, that trust between the consumer and a brand, you don't have very many opportunities to fail that person, right? Like you can continually impress them, but if you you fail to meet those expectations or fail to have in the bag what's promised in that bag or they're led on to believe, you lose that trust real quick. Yeah, I mean, that's like your DDC or your consumer front, but like still in this business, like now as it's tough, it's, you know, like it's nobody's nobody's crushing it right now. It's like who's 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 winning and winning is like staying alive and like still growing. If you can grow even at any rate, you're doing well, you know, congratulations. Um, like a lot of what 
a lot of the people like the successes are like our, our strengths are just networking. You see, you know, who's like, who actually understands it. And people that have, I guess it came from the traditional market from people that are still like, they actually did make it and like just the grinders, you know, and like the, the guys that you can trust, those are the people, you know, I lean on and they lean on me and like those people I take care of because they've been here and like, they're just, they're going to win. They're going to grind through it, you know? Those you want to yeah. gamble on winning horses with fucking ones that fucking never stopped, you know. Absolutely, and and you guys obviously are you know homegrown brand out there covering you know a, a retail brand and a product touching brand and then kind of a house of brands. You know, brands from the West Coast or California have been expanding through licensing deals or you know the MSOs from the Midwest and the, and the East Coast, right? How has the market kind of received some of those out, you know, not Michigan grown brands in the Michigan market? Have you seen any gain success or is it a difficult road for them? Um, I mean, recent one that just launched, Jeter just launched in Michigan. I've seen good success there. I mean, they've done well. Um, I think they did a great launch strategy. I think they did it well. Like, I, I fuck, I'd, I'd run that playbook if I was going to run one. I think they're, you know, Bravo, tip of the hat. Uh, there's others that have had success. Backpack Boys, I think, has got a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good market. Uh, I haven't seen the product, but I know you know it's a hype brand. People want it. People pay extra for that name. Um, I mean, obviously, I have a license to deal with Cloud King, and we, you know, we run the turds in Cloud King here, and that, that demands a premium price. It's a premium product, uh, but you know. We protect that, you know, we guard that. We make sure that you know what goes in that bag is always premium. And that's why that it's you know it's a trusted brand, trusted bag. Um there's there's others, you know, other brands, I guess there's I've talked to a lot because I am a producer and I do have the full supply chain. So when brands do come to Michigan, like I get the the phone call or I, I get the conversation, I've had a tremendous amount of them. And some it's just I look at the product, it's like, well what makes you think this product's going to be successful here? And it's, you have to really look at it like that. And I have to see if it fits into the Michigan market or what the competitive competing brands in the Michigan market are and what makes that brand, you know, what, what consumer attaches to that brand and why, or is it just hype? And some of the stuff's just hype, but like how much of it can you sell to, to hype? And like, what's, what are the rest of the market sectors? How much can you sell to the 40 to 50 crowd that's looking for gummies or the can of curious crowd? And just trying to figure out that consumer and then you have to do it by market too or by location you know what i mean for like by different retails there's vastly different markets and vast different vastly different velocities and velocities on different products one of my stores it's like 60 percent gummies i'm like fuck eating all these gummies but <laughs> i don't fucking sell them i'm sure you know yeah and that's that's what i was gonna ask with with five retail outlets i'm sure the 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 buying process right because from whatever the consumer demand is varies based on you know yeah. whether it's ec economic culturally occupational right like there's mm -hmm. different yeah. demographic makeups 100 percent, 100 percent. little micro markets yeah and and how how much they vary i mean that's impressive you said 60 percent gummies at one store yeah yeah that's that's insane it must be a bunch of old folks sitting around there man or something i don't know i do i know yeah <laughs> Yeah, trust me, I'll look at the information. Are you, you know, one of the one of the popular conversations I saw popping on LinkedIn lately, like beverages is a category that's been getting, you know, in my opinion, way too much hype. Like it's a great category. The growth that it's seen is impressive. I think the growth is gonna continue, but I'm seeing wild statements like cannabis beverages will be the 
biggest selling category in cannabis. I saw someone today said it's going to overtake gummies within a year, which oh, I, I see. I don't even have time to read these articles, but it's music to my ears. I love it. <laughs> I don't, I don't foresee, you know, I don't, I foresee flower stand King, but I also don't for personally, I just don't no, foresee. Bro, I smoke joints. You know that. I mean, well, yeah. you know it now, but I prefer smoke flower. Well, I mean, I'll smoke rosin. I mean, I'll smoke pretty much anything if it's good quality. But um, I'm very particular about that. But I, I prefer flowers. So you'd speak into the choir and say flowers king. Yeah. And well, that's what I think, you know, like when you look at the consumer who only does gummies or only does beverages, there are some. I don't ever want to say there's none because there's always anomalies. There is the person who only does gummies and they consume every day. But your typical flower consumer smoking a dub to a, a every seven days a week and your typical beverage consumer i'd say is probably drinking i don't know maybe one a week maybe you know i I don't know what the frequency it's probably not very high but your flower consumer is much more of a dedicated consumer than anyone else i'd say i'm pretty dedicated so yeah again you're preaching to the choir no disagreement (laughs) here with that statement man oh you um, guys oh no go ahead no you go ahead I was, I I was say, so at, Pleasantries, at Pleasantries, you guys obviously have multiple brands and SKUs under that. What are what are some of those product lines and, and segmented brands that you guys have in-house? Um, we have Pleasantries, which is our house brand, which is the lesson of, you know, having to retail on the, uh, <clears throat> the product name the same and the conundrum I'm dealing with right now. And then we have Good Enough, which is our... Uh, value brand and that's kind of a I mean, it's a funny you know it's transparent about what it is it's good enough you know and it's you know something unfortunately sometimes it's based on potency and michigan's a potency driven market the market you know velocity and price is driven by potency so if that's what the consumer wants and that's what the retail buyers want um the retail store buyers they, you know, that's what we have to have and that's in order to hit that price or to get a premium price in some things. Um, we also have the Cloud King, uh, that's a licensing deal and then turds. Those, that would be a premium brand. We have the Pistol Janes we're rolling out, a female centric brand. We're gonna have, we're gonna run that probably in like a, I think that runs in our s- second to, and third tier, maybe like a B and C, um, maybe some like A. And that's going to have different unique products too, and not just flour for you know bath bombs and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'll tell you more about that. Um, we have the highly casual that is the beverage brand, and uh, that one. Um, you said you know you're 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 skeptical. Uh, obviously, I, I have a different opinion because I went narrow and deep on that one. Uh, our facility, our facility will be done in about three weeks. I want to say and that was a pretty expensive build and we're you know we're throwing some serious resources at it we partnered with uh, blake's hard cider that's a, a alcoholic cider company in michigan and he's extremely successful he's expanding the, the shit out of his business and he's, he's got a great mind uh good dude uh partner of mine and well we partnered literally on the jv so 50 50 on the metal and they're good at what they do and you know i'm good at what we what i do i'm good we're, we're good I'm talking for a team of you know 200 250 people so we we we're good at what we do but that's uh why did i do that i guess i'll answer i'll ask a question and answer it um i i'm a big believer in going narrow and deep 
on different market sectors. Like there's there's things I won't go after. Games that you know I look at every like every different opportunity I have is like ROI. Can I win that game? And if somebody already went to scale in a game, it's and they're already there and they can produce at such a low cost, I'm not going to play that game. I can't win that game unless I allocate you know X amount or of, of capital to catch them right away. And if I have a better resource or a better game, I can allocate that capital to like, I'm going to play the games I can win. And that's like what I've refocused myself on is not playing every game, just playing the ones I'm good at and I can win and, you know, building the right team to do that. And I mean, in my opinion, that's a smart approach. There's too many cannabis is something that knows like the, the demographic of cannabis consumer, you know, is not one type of person. It's everybody. There's so many delivery and consumption methods. There's so many different demographics of people, whether it's economic, race, where they live, occupational, like everybody smokes weed. And so many companies I see try to be everything for everyone, which is an impossible and probably the most expensive task you could ever be. So I think that's a great approach of looking at things like how can I win? How can I win significant market share? Uh, yeah, and then because I'm good at it. It's more fun and better at it. Why would I want to do stuff I'm not good at and lose? No, let somebody else play that. I'm going to get yeah. I'm gonna here, here, here. Absolutely. What And what do you think, like in, in the Michigan market, what is like your, your average kind of your average, or I guess two different things, I guess that I'm curious about. What's the, what's the, sh the cost out the door for top shelf eighth of flower. And then what's the cost of like the average, like the high volume mover flower. I mean, when you look at cost, like I'm a costing fanatic and like I show you some crazy shit on cost and I go granular on it, but um, yeah, two different costing. Like if I look at my costing enterprise, um, essentially taking like, what does it cost me to run my enterprise for that month? And what was my production? That's a much different number than what does it cost my grow and what, what the expenses to my grow are to grow that weed for that month. Um, I think, you know, people that are saying that, like people say their enterprise cost is like 500 bucks or something. Like get the fuck out of here. <laughs> seen you in a jet bitch <laughs> in enterprise cost um there's if you're gonna enterprise probably like a thousand eleven hundred bucks be competitive if you're running like much higher than that twelve hundred dollars i don't know if you're going if you're at two thousand dollars a pound like you're not selling it for two thousand dollars a pound so you're definitely running probably out of business soon if you're not out of business yet um our our costing is about Dollar forty-two a gram dry. You want to say? Okay. Actually, find out right now. Like, like what current current strike price? <laughs> what's our D? D. What's our cost per gram dry right now? Trailing, trailing three one. Click calculated. <laughs> And that's well, that's out the job, guys. That's the processor that I would like. Dollar fifty-four a gram, and that's got all my. Hmm. Is that you were close? You said dollar fifty. You guessed dollar fifty. So yeah. yeah. Well, it moves. So that's tied to like all my aggregated cultivation uh, overhead costs for both grows, and then the production that comes out, and then also the aggregate. Um, 
cost at my my processing packaging facility and then what comes out of there so that's not just like my grow cost me a dollar 54 gram that's what it cost me to run all the facility to put not the cost of the bag the packaging we keep separate because our, our packaging does fluctuate um when we change package or new products etc but the cost to get the product through that entire supply chain to a store and then what what does it end up be for the consumer out there what's like the out the door with tax price for like an eighth, an eighth of flour out there oh shit! i mean dude there's people selling ace for three for 50 bucks uh, package well, i mean a lot of deli now bulk everything's bulk um like i said the brands have really lost the consumers really lost like trust with the brand so there's not a lot of brand or there's a lot of mylars but not a lot that command any premium price um that's rare and that's why i've seen there's like five or six that are trusted brands still um there's we sell the turds i want to say still sells for 60 bucks an eighth but that's like the outlier and it's random we, we do small runs of it so it's scarce and you know scarcity increases value but if you're just trying to blow stuff out like most of it's not going for very much man 20 bucks for an eighth 25. Yeah. probably similar to most markets to be honest yeah that's what like, like the market said on the west coast that are you know hit right now so, yeah that's uh, like in Washington, i live in i live in washington and that's about the, the top end of the spectrum for the best limited about 60 dollars with tax eighth but you can get some decent you can get some decent for you know 30. i i think our our average like top shelf like i wouldn't touch anything below it it's like 45 to 55 out the door with tax yeah yeah i mean that's like like the turds is an outlier that's like some of the most expensive weed in michigan i would say for sure and it, and it's and it has velocity because it because it is so scarce so yeah and that's something i noticed even from just instagram it seemed like cloud king built a pretty big following in michigan michigan specifically i know you've got some following in, in california and there it's available up here in washington as well but i think michigan was one of those markets that really picked up and ran with this stuff well he moved here dude he's my coo for a year and a half mm. two years yeah, he's the homie so like he he moved back to i think he's in washington or oregon right now the fam mm. but uh yeah no he lived here he was part of the company for over a year okay that that makes sense and then i know you know i know you guys work also with the community as well you know we we had featured uh you guys had the battle of the bands the the potency test i believe i know we wrote an article about that so i'm kind of curious your approach of like beyond just the cannabis and kind of working with whether it's the music community or just the, the greater community of, of just that involvement what's your guys's approach on that well i, I was i was definitely say my partner ben uh you know definitely has the music in him <laughs> I don't know if I'm sure the article covered his background. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> we think it's important to, to if, if you want to be a brand, you want to be a household name, you have to be, you know, you have to be a part of the community, you have to be part of the culture. And, you know, we think that's important. And it's, it's so hard when, you know, the, the times are tough to justify, like, you know, putting on events and marketing expenses, but those are like unquantifiable. Uh, you know, those are the things that matter and, and why people buy your product when they go into that store. I mean, 350 stores, you know, why are they, why does that store buy my product? They buy my product because that store, because that store through the people, their consumers buy my product. Okay. So as long as my product's going like this in their store and they're making money, my product's always on their store shelf. And that's what they want to see. Nobody, nobody's going to, nobody, I don't want to talk to the store that bought a product from me and it's been sitting there on its fucking shelf. He's staring at it and then he's just waiting to talk to me so he can tell me how my stuff's not selling <laughs> you know i want my i want my product to move and i want people to be happy with it and 
the the us being involved in the community and being that household brand and personalizing our our who we are as a company. We're not a corporate. I mean, we're people. But you know, this isn't run by a corporation. I'm not, I'm not a banker. I grew weed. Um, you know, my dad didn't give me a, the company. My dad didn't write the check. I, I, I built it. I had to go chase money around, you know, Canada and fucking the whole Northeast, West, U.S., anywhere. You know, any meeting I would take um, to, to put it together and do what it took to, to build it and raise the capital. That was a whole new world to learn. But, um, oh, yeah, I lost my train. I was going down. You're good. And, and obviously at this point, you know, you guys have reached a pretty impressive scale, especially in, in a short amount of time um, for a singular market is as much yeah. your guys' future right, focus. It's a, it's a battle, man, because like a lot of this is long game shit. Like we're yeah. now just realizing like efforts we put in three, four, five years ago um, on real estate, holding real estate, chasing real estate. Um, and now like the applications have gone in to those municipalities or they're finally doing their selection process and we're winning dispensaries and it's like fuck i've been sitting on this real estate for three years burning money as i'm trying to build my company but like if i didn't do that i didn't get that store you know and it's like so painful they're coming to fruition it's like all right now we got to just you know keep our heads up the market's crashing but like we're still trying to grow and like you got to keep keep that momentum and keep that you know team together Absolutely. And, and for you, obviously, being a flower smoker, you're puffing on the joint right now. What What is your personal uh, what's your personal like terp profiles you like or strains that, that you like to smoke? I don't know. I'm like heavy terp, low potency, like 18 to 22 or something that tastes good for me. Gives me a good feeling. I don't want to get too high when I smoke. I like to smoke a lot of weed. I like to smoke during the day. I like to smoke in function. I don't like to smoke anything too potent. I try to keep my, you know, something 18, 22, 23, 4. 24 percent tng anything that's unique tastes good mm-hmm. you know i don't need it to, i don't need some 30 whatever percent i can, can't smoke a joint you know or it puts me out where i'm actually not functioning like i'm like a highly functioning person all day like too many hours a day so i don't like to be going slow yeah no, I, I can mess with that and then and you said your your flower you're not not big on the edibles or like the concentrates and stuff on the regular <laughs> no nah, man they put me down too much it's like if i took 20 mils of 20 milligrams in an edible i'd be probably be high for sure if i took 30 i'd be like uncomfortable and start like you know playing games in my head on myself and getting paranoid i don't like that so i yeah. try to you know keep keep myself 20 or less <laughs> no i i can i can associate with that i'm, I'm a heavy flower consumer i dabble with the edibles but oh, uh no. yeah to take it take it easy and I, I don't do the dabs man uh, a lot of our staff goes heavy on the dabs i like no, I'll do a little dab, just like not like often, you know. I guess I haven't done a dab in a long time, but I used to. More often. Yeah, I'll, do a, I'll do a baby dab of some rosin, but I don't want the whole like. I mean, I don't. I'm not trying to sit here and take multiple dabs. That should have me. Oh, yeah, we had these like rosin. These are like disposable. Oh, right there. This right here. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Rosin pen. That's our disposable rosin cartridge. And that's what I'd heard. I actually asked around the market quite a bit, and that's Pleasant Trees seem to have a pretty good name in the in the solventless market in, in Michigan. I had fifty seven percent. So I asked that I saw of the rosin market. We had, I can say I again. I say I mean we as a as a company, a team here. Um, that was probably two, three, four months. Probably fucking actually, yeah, four months ago. It's been a minute. There's a lot of people coming after the rosin market, and they're selling it so cheap. It just yeah. makes me wonder, like, what is their costing, or like, who's, 
who's producing it for that because they know what it costs us to produce it. And obviously we, we do use indoor flour. We grow strains for that. Um, so, I mean, I guess my cost would be higher, but I'm growing strains that yield high. So, mm-hmm. you know, that would drive my cost down. You know, I, I know like if you fuck it up and it's all of this and you, you know, you wash too much stuff, you know, too many strains that are, or you're testing, like it's expensive to test and get the data um, of, you know, what, what the yields are in different strains and which rooms, LED versus HPS, that, that costs money to do that homework and to like actually put it to action. But if you're not paying attention to that, I'm like, fuck, these guys are selling grams of rosin, like $15, 20 bucks, like cost me 22 bucks to make that gram. Right, right. Yeah. I know what it costs me to put that in a box and put it on a shelf. So it's like, I can't sell it for that, but I'm not going to, I'm just not going to play that game. Like that's my products here and it's, that's what it costs me and that's what it's going to cost. I'll just make less of it. I'll find out how many people want to buy that product and will pay that price and I'll make that much of it. I'll make other things. That's fine. But I'm not going to lower mm-hmm. my price and, and be an idiot and sell stuff for less than it costs me to make it. I don't do business like that, you know? Uh, yeah, knowing your numbers is the is essential for business. And there's a lot of people in cannabis that don't know their numbers, man. They, they come from the days of hustling and, and never quite had the right ledger accounting. And uh, now you move into all these different hey, product types. Listen, products don't let me sit over here and preach, bro. Like, I got fucking, I've been through it with all these accountants and whatnot. Like you got to do it yourself, like some of the costing or get somebody that knows how to do it. Like, unless you can see it took me two years to get two and a half years to get visibility like to where i feel comfortable with where it's at and like that's and i'm a smart person like i wish i had it two and a half years ago you know what i mean yeah it would help so much so much like it's like wow i would have done things differently a little bit but like nobody has people 95 percent of people don't have it now Fuck, i'm not mad at myself i'm happy i have it you know now we use it yeah, well, prop man, props to what you've built because you know, again, like I said, I've never, never really touched foot on your guys' soil, and I, I'm aware yeah, of the movement bro. over here on the other side of the map. No, no, come through, man. Uh, do, doors open. I'd love to show you our facilities, and you'll give you a tour. Not even just all my facilities. Show you with your other facilities in Michigan. Show you what we're about in the Michigan market. Yeah, and there's yeah, some good growers on it, man. It's it's on my list, man. Maybe maybe a little bit later in the fall, I'm gonna try and try and make a trip out there with the team and come create some content on the ground and 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 try the product. You know, we travel all around the country reviewing a lot of the best products. You know, obviously the West Coast is home, but I'm always surprised at, at, at what else is out there in the market. I'd love to surprise you. Hey, I'm, I look forward to. It. Well, I appreciate your time today, Randall. Um, you know, is there is there anything else you want to plug before we get up out of here? Well, man, I appreciate it. It's Friday night. I'm going to give you some time back. I'm going uh, wrap up my, my day here at the office and head home. All right, man. For anyone out there looking for more information on Pleasant Trees, enjoy PleasantTrees.com. Appreciate everyone for tuning in on the third episode of the RMR podcast we ran today. We are on the North American Weed Tour looking at the best in legal cannabis across the country. We'll be back with more content next. Well, some of the team will be doing this weekend. I'm taking a weekend off. I'll be back next week, man. We'll see you guys later.